Amen. Oh, you're a good-looking group. All right. Well, today um, we're going to be focusing on just one verse from a book that has no chapters, the book of Jude. So it's always hard when you're writing it or telling what scripture, it says Jude 25, but it's, well, what chapter? No, there's no chapter in the book of Jude. It's a very short book. It's the second to last book in the Bible. And we're just going to be focusing on that one verse that says, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. But I want to start by reading... Um, reading it from verse 20. So we're going to read Jude 20. See, it says Jude 1, 20, but it's really just Jude 20. That's the software. that you, They can't do it otherwise. Um, but it starts off with, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And so that's what we're going into as we consider glory and majesty, dominion and power. But before we get specifically into that, I just want to talk about how... The book of Jude is really a very uh, interesting book because it, it kind of encapsulates or summarizes the Christian life or how the, the Christian outline might look. We started in verse 20, but from verses 1 to 20, Jude is uh, trying to encourage the church to contend for the faith, contend for the truth that they're believing in, contend for the truth and be people of the truth, reject falsehood okay and then it goes into verse 20 after all this about rejecting falsehood and standing for the truth then it goes into verse 20 which we just read and gives you some practical instructions building yourself up in the faith and praying in the spirit and having compassion and saving the it's it's your response keeping yourself in the love of God and being patient All of that is a result of the truth. So you have 20 verses, stand for the truth, fight against falsehood. Then here's how that will play out. Here's some practical suggestions. And then the last two verses say, now unto him and to God our Savior. So the last part is revealing that this is all for the Lord's glory, that it all results in the Lord's glory. And that's how the Christian life really can be summed up in three points. Truth, our response, and his glory. See, now you don't have to go to seminary. (laughs) Well, it would help if you want to get rid of the falsehoods. Well, I don't know about that. It depends which one you go to. 
but truth, our response, and his glory. And that's really what we need to be about as Christians. Our business is all of that. We are people of the truth. So it's one small book talking about that. And, you know, there's a lot of truth robbers out there. There's a lot of falsehood out there. And you've got to be careful because even in some churches, you're not going to get the truth. You might get a good pep talk, a motivational talk, or you might get steered in the wrong direction. So we have to be very careful, and this is what Jude's talking about, contend for the faith. Be in the word, know the truth, be on guard. And as we are on guard and we are praying to the Lord, seeking him and seeking it for his sake, he will lead us into the truth. And then it says to build yourself up in the faith. How can you be strong in the truth? By building up yourself in the faith. And this is building up yourself in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, you can pray in the flesh or you can pray in the spirit. Well, what's the difference? Well, sometimes you have to just start in the flesh. I have to sit myself down. I have to start praying. But then as you're focusing on the Lord and you're starting to uh, not think about your own self, but his glory, then the spirit comes in and he starts to build you up in the faith. And then it says, keep yourself in the love of God. That is the motivation for the Christian life. That's what we've been trying to talk about all this time that I've been here, that love is what propels us. It's the love that he gives to us and that he instills in our hearts that makes us love him, that makes us want to serve him and want to know, know him more. And then when we love him like that, it says, have compassion on some, on some, making a distinction, hating even the pulling them out, others pulling them out of the fire. When you are affected by the love of God, not only do you want to get yourself more in sync with him, because you know it's for your ultimate good, but you also know it's for the ultimate good of everybody else. So you want to save others. You want to, you want to love others. You have compassion. If you know that God's had compassion on you, that just triggers a compassion for others. If you don't have a compassion for others, then I would suggest maybe you need to get back into building your most holy faith up, praying in the Spirit to understand God has compassion for you. No, he doesn't. How can he have compassion for me? I've messed up too much, and you don't know what I've done. That's why we celebrated the Lord's table today and read Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He had compassion on us that he put on his son, who was perfect, all of our imperfections, all of our mess-ups, all of our heinous sins. doesn't matter. Little sins, big sins. Some people say, how can God forgive me? Well, you can't stump the blood of Jesus, and you can't stump the love of God. And that love has compassion for lost souls, sinners. And if, he, if we don't have compassion for others, then we have to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I have not believed in your compassion towards me. Show me again. Help me to receive what, what is clear in the word, but foggy in my heart. I need clarity in my heart. And God will do that. He will answer the sincere cry and call for that. Why? Because he loves you, but also because he get, gets glory out of it. He gets glory out of salvation and our, 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 our moving in salvation, our growing in the things of God. So let's get to the main verse here, because when you have these things, it all helps you. It all blesses you when you're growing in these things, but ultimately... We are to be an offering 
to God. And what is worship but giving to God? So in Jude 25, it says, To God our Savior, who alone is wise. And, you know, I was drawn to this verse because I want to talk about glory, majesty, dominion, and power. But we've got to talk about two, that little word two, to God our Savior. There is something here, these, and, and in verse 24, the same thing, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glory with exceeding joy. How can he, he present you, how can he present me before his presence with exceeding joy? Man, that is, that is grace. That is grace because we know ourselves and we, we would be a little bit ashamed maybe if we were presenting ourselves and we'd come with our heads hung low. Jesus loves us and has paid for us that he can present us before the throne with exceeding joy. That, that Think of it, that it, God is joyful over us. And, you know, this is just mind-boggling. This is where we need faith. We say, how can it be? We just have to say, we believe. And when you think of that, it's no problem to say, to God our Savior. We are giving ourselves to God. Romans 2.4 says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. If you're having a hard time living for God, you need to get back into realizing his goodness and what he's done for you. In fact, it says he's your savior. It's not saying to God who is our heavy hand. It's not to God our dictator. It's not to God our ruler. It's to God our savior. What is a savior? One who has helped. One who rescues. One who sees you in trouble. And he's taking care of it. One who sees your debt. Anybody got any outstanding debts? Man, think of someone who comes in and takes care of it for you. This is what Jesus has done. So he's not asking you to submit and give your life an offering to a heavy-handed dictator or ruler. He's, he's saying, look, he's your savior. And he alone is wise. You know, there's a wisdom. Uh, the Bible talks about the wisdom of this age is coming to nothing. And there's another place in the book of James talks about a wisdom that is earthly and sensual and demonic. All these things are coming to nothing. And yet many people give themselves to the wisdom of this world or to the earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. They give themselves. They, this, is a, this is a hard thing to preach in our day and age, the offering of yourself, making your life not about you, making your life not about numero uno, me, and what can God do for me, and that's just a hard thing to speak in this culture. I'm asking you to be open-minded to today and consider why, why it's so much better to make your life an offering to another. For one reason, you didn't create yourself. You were created by Almighty God. We owe Him our lives. He's given us freedom that we could do what we want, and we've turned each of us to our own, our own ways. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why? Because he, he wants us. He, he wants to have a relationship with us. And he alone is wise. Why do we give ourselves to what's less? The wisdom of this world is coming to nothing. Or the earthly, sensual, and demonic. God alone is wise. You know, the Proverbs speak all kinds of things about wisdom. It says the principal thing is getting wisdom and understanding. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it says here, God alone is wise. So wisdom is what gives you peace. Wisdom is what gives you security and calm 
and confidence. If you have wisdom in a matter, things are okay, right? You know, how many of you had some kind of struggle trial and you just don't know what to do? I wish I had wisdom. Why do you want wisdom? Because that would give you the calm, the peace, the ability to handle what you're doing. And we go through life, so many out in the world are going through life with a faulty chase after a faulty wisdom that doesn't help and leads to something coming to an end where God alone is wise. And this should motivate us to want to offer ourselves to God our Savior because he alone is wise and he can do a better job at managing my life than I can and he can get a better outcome from my life and he can have you know, whatever he wants, I'll give to him and then the beauty of it is, is again, he's, he's not our heavy hand, he's not our dictator, he's our savior. He wants to do good in our lives. He wants to do more than we usually allow him to do. And so we talked last week about surrendering all. Why surrender all? So that he can give all to you. We, we limit God by not giving our lives to him when he wants to give everything that he has, even his, his son, and, and an eternal life that is extraordinarily beyond what we can conceive in our little peanut-sized brains at this time. And that's why we get together. We have to remind ourselves and we have to help each other to see spiritually and build up our faith so that we can be on that right track. And so why go after the faulty wisdom? Go after the one who is wise. He will take care of us. He will lead us in the way everlasting and it's the right way. The world is on a track that's heading the wrong way. And you spend too much time on that track, and that's the end. God has a better deal, and it's wisdom to see that. So I pray the Lord's wisdom from on high just hit everybody here with ability to understand and see that, that we might put ourselves on his track because he alone is wise. And so Jude is saying that, and when he says who, who alone is wise, that is the same as like saying, hallowed be thy name. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Both of these things, they're singling out God. Singling out God. You alone are wise. Hallowed means there's nothing like your name. There's no one like you. You are in a, a set apart of your own category. You know, we try to put things in categories of good, better, and best. God is above all that. He's in his own category, hallowed. It's just hallowed. It's holy. It's set apart. That is something else. God is greater. And so the same thing here. Who alone is wise? Jude is singling out God. And the lesson for us is we need to single out God like that because when you single out God, when you recognize that he alone is it, he alone is worthy. He alone is good. That's when the worship starts to flow from you. Now, worship is something that's supposed to come supernaturally. It doesn't come naturally. It comes from a consideration of who God is and an understanding of what he's done and realizing that he loves us in spite of ourselves. And that's when, when worship will flow out of us. And so this is illustrated here in Jude. Jude has to overflow with worship. He's singling out God, and he comes out and says, Glory! Who alone is wise? Glory! That's a praise, right? But it doesn't stop with just one word. He can't stop with just glory. Praise the Lord, glory. No, it's, it's starting to come out more. Glory and majesty 
And, he, and that would be good worship right there, but then it, it doesn't stop there. And dominion. It's like he's transfixed with the greatness of God. And power. And now. And forever. And actually, uh, some of the manuscripts of the Bible there don't just say now. It says before all time, now, and forever. So, so there's an overflow of worship. And the worship comes supernaturally when you single out God, say, he is Lord. He alone is wise. Hallowed be his name. In my life, I'm making my life an offering to him. And when you see the goodness of God, it flows out in, in a worship. Glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So that brings us to what he's saying. He's saying, I just, I said, I'm not going to repeat him. <laughs> what did he say? Glory, dominion, and power. Why do you want to just hear me talk? We all we got to talk more. You got to. So, let's talk about each of these just for a little bit. Glory. Who doesn't like glory? You know, we are drawn to glory. And what is glory? It's hard to really give glory a definition. It's more something we can describe, maybe, and even that's faulty. But I've come up with something about it, I think. It might work. But glory first is something that draws us. And glory dazzles us. Who doesn't want to be dazzled? I mean, why do we go to fireworks displays, right? There's something glorious about seeing those colorful lights appear in the sky. And I'll tell you what, we, you know, even when we were kids and we just had a little firecracker, that was glorious. If we could make that pop and that loud noise, it was so loud, it's glorious, right? So what even greater is you, you can go to the park on July 4th and see a big fireworks display from Rozzy's Famous Fireworks. That's what they used to call them. I don't know if Rozzy's is still a thing or if you know what I'm talking about. But that's where you would have these major productions of fireworks. And we just loved them, and especially if it had a grand finale, boom, 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 and it's just like, oh, what does glory do? It makes you drop your jaw. And I have to say that America doesn't really even know fireworks like China knows fireworks. Because uh, at spring festival time in China, that's when the fireworks go off. And I mean, they go off, and they go off nonstop everywhere, all over the place. You know, we have to go to a park and the fire department's there, and everybody has it in a contained place, and then they can set off their professional fireworks. If we want to do fireworks in our backyard, we have to get the acceptable home-endorsed fireworks and things like that. In China, they sold all the professional Rossi's famous fireworks stuff, and anybody could buy them anywhere on any street during the time leading up to Spring Festival. There were no fire departments to contain or restrain in every neighborhood, every street at Spring Festival time, not just one night, but five nights in a row, are lighting off glorious displays of fireworks like you were in New York City on July 4th. And I thought, wow, it's, it's also like living in a war zone. It's like you're hearing it go off all the time, and then you have the symphony of car alarms going off. Boom, boom. Um, but I just thought that is it's so incredibly amazing when you're out there seeing it all and you're not getting hurt. Um, but that's the glory. We want to see things. We're drawn to that. We're, we're, I think we're made for that. I think we were made for glory. And that's part of the fall is that we've become so inglorious because of sin 
and everything. But remember last week we talked about Moses in Exodus 33:18 said to the Lord, show me your glory. He needed the glory. He, we need the glory. We need the glory if we're going to be moved to worship and, and give our lives an offering to God. And, and the Bible says in Romans 8.30 that those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So that seems to indicate that we are made for glory. And God wants us to be glorified. But Moses said, show me your glory. And if you recall from last week, what did God say? He said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. In other words, God didn't send the fireworks to show Moses his glory. He, you know, you would have thought that's when the big light show would have happened. Instead, he, he made his goodness pass before Moses, and then we went through the list. I am gracious, I am long-suffering, I am... I am forgiving of sin. All this, he went through that list. The glory of God, and that was only, he, uh, you know, Moses couldn't see him face to face. He had to be protected in the cleft of the rock. It was only by Jesus that we can be allowed to see the actual glory directly. And still, we can't see that. That's what's coming. But Jesus, in another episode, gave a preview of the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when the disciples were there with him and he shone brighter than white and everything and they didn't know what to do and they heard God's voice in it and they, they said, it's good for us to be here. There was a response. And when Moses said, show me your glory and, and God gave him that response of who he was, gave him the word, it said that Moses bowed down in worship. It's just that glory will bring the worship out of us. It results in worship. I think it's because we were made for that and it draws us and uh, we see other examples of glory in the scripture. One ex I want to just mention through Ezekiel. There's a fantastic passage in Ezekiel. In uh, chapter 1, verse 26, it begins. Just put yourself in this passage. Now, this is where you're getting some sensory idea of glory. So God, in, when he showed Moses, he gave the word. But here there's a vision, and here's an amazing thing after a whole chapter where it's talking about the strangest symbol, symbolism. So many people wonder, what's this chapter talking about? It's talking about wheels in the sky, there's eyes on the wheels, there's four living creatures moving back and forth like lightning. And you read it and just say, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but it sort of sums it up when it gets past all that imagery, it comes to this part. It says, above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne. In appearance, like a sapphire stone, on the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus on the throne. There's an appearance of a man. Picture yourself if you see what you what you would be sensing if you saw this. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all, all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. There it is again. He saw a... He didn't even see the glory. It says it was the likeness of the glory. Now, think of what you just saw in this passage. You saw fire and brightness in a rainbow. 
How many of us haven't been driving around and then we point out, hey, look, there's a rainbow. It draws us. There's something glorious about a rainbow. And yet you can't really see it all real sharply all the time. I'll bet this was a sharp vision. You see a rainbow. And the fire, we're always drawn to a fire. You, you, that's why we build bonfires at camps. Did you have a bonfire at your camp? Yep, he had a bonfire at the camp. They love to look at the fire, the brightness, all this. And you imagine the throne and there's a man on it, and it's just surrounded by fire, and there's amber, and, and it's just an incredible vision. And in all this, it's just a likeness of the glory. And yet it produces Ezekiel to fall and uh, be speechless. And then, why is it just a likeness? We had the transfiguration. We have this picture of the glory. There's other incidents of this kind of glory in the, in the Old Testament, and uh, we see things in Revelation, but... I believe it's because we can't really see true glory in this physical frame. So we need these representations to speak to our senses, to give us a hint of the likeness of God's glory. What does that mean? It means that when we actually see him as he is, it's going to be more than jaw-dropping. It's going to be indescribable, and it's going to result in a total display of worship and we see that in Revelation 4 and 5 I won't go there but if you look in Revelation chapter 4 there's a picture of of God on the throne in chapter 4 and he's uh, interestingly there's the four living creatures that you see in Ezekiel chapter 1 are worshiping him and then they are crying out holy 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 and they're they're singling God out and then there's 24 elders before the throne and they fall down and they cast their crowns and they're worshiping, worshiping in this glorious picture of God's glory. That's, that's Revelation chapter 4. Go to Revelation chapter 5 and then there's a vision of one who's standing in the midst of the throne who looks like a lamb that was slain. There's Jesus. And then, if you read the rest of chapter 5, it goes on to say, and then thousands upon thousands and those on the earth and under the, above the, all of them were worshiping. It's the greatest display of worship that you'll ever see uh, this side. And I was just thinking when I was considering that, thinking on the worship that we're going to be a part of and thousands upon thousands, and it all comes in when you single out Jesus. Yeah, God gets the glory, but God is, Jesus is the express image of God. And so when the Bible represents Jesus in the heavenly vision of Revelation, there's the greatest scene of worship that outdoes anything in chapter 4 even. It's all God's anyway, but I mean, it's just showing us that there is the highest glory in Jesus. And so how do you define glory? God said, I will let my goodness pass before you. I believe if we want to define glory... We can define it as the highest good. The highest good. The highest degree of good. And good is so good. You feel good when you see good, when you know good, when good happens to you. But what is it when good excels to the highest rate? That's when it becomes glory. There's all, it's, And God is himself the glory. And all these other things are helps, visions, and, and representations so that we might be able to handle it in our limited Ability right now, but what will it be when all that is is taken out of the way and we're drawn? And then you think of thousands upon thousands. You ever go to a movie or a concert or a sporting event and there's some kind of camaraderie between everyone because you're experiencing the great glory together? 
and it's all of a sudden these strangers are your friends and you're all having that communal experience. And just put yourself in the thousands upon thousands of heaven when you're all, are you seeing this? Are you part, I, what? you know, suddenly you love everyone. And, you know, that's what we can have now to a limited degree by faith. And that's what the church is for. That's why we should love each other in the church because we're all part of worshiping God in glory. All right, I spent more time on that. I'm not going to keep us a long time. We're going to go quickly through the others. So don't get unrested. But uh, it all ties together. It's all part. They all go together. The next is dominion, right? No, majesty. Sorry. Glory and majesty. Majesty is just an extension of God's glory that puts a royal element on it. The royalty. And how many of you were interested in the coronation of King Charles, you know, a few months back, right? And did you see all the glitz and pomp and ceremonial opulence and all that stuff? It was just extraordinary. All the riches involved with majesty, gilded thrones and crowns of gold and jewels and diamonds and and it's all what it's all earthly stuff. What's it going to be when when the age of glory arrives, heavenly, eternal, th- you know, gold, we think it's so wonderful, but in heaven, the Bible says gold is just the pavement, it's the street. You're walking, I mean, that's nothing compared to the glory of God himself that we're going to see. And the majesty is incredible. You also have with majesty the, uh, the scepter, you know, the authority. You know, I talked about the ceremonial opulence. Don't you like that word, opulence? That's one, as I was considering majesty, I looked up something about majesty, and they said opulence. I said, i got to go with that, opulence. (laughs) Uh, But there's also, there is the authority, and there is the royal protocol. There are protocols with majesty. So you have in the book of Esther, before Esther can see the king, she must be prepared and prepped for a year, Right? And she must be very careful when she goes into his presence. And if he extends the scepter, everything's good. If not, she's put to death. There's some serious protocol with majesty. And this is just with the kings of the earth. There are riches with the kings of the earth. There's protocol with the kings of the earth. There's authority and jurisdictions. But what's all that to the king of kings? The king of kings has no limit to jurisdiction, no limit to authority, no limit to riches, no limit to any of the pomp and glamour of majesty and the royal authority that's behind it. And the good news is, is he doesn't lord over us, but he shares the rule and reign with us. And he's not threatened by it. His majesty is not threatened by it. He doesn't have to worry about assassin's bullets or the next vote. He's secure, and he's confident, and he is able to make things happen. And we say to him, majesty, and it's not just that he is majestic, but that he puts that majesty upon his children as as well. It says that he makes us a kingdom of kings and priests, and that we too are a part of the royal order. Do you see yourself as a part of the royal order? No, I'm just a me. I'm a me. Are you a me? <laughs> no. we got to look to it the way the Bible says. It says, I'm a child of the king. And you know, that might be good for some of the commonlings over there, but not for me. I'm a child of the king. I'm, I've got royalty. I've got a protocol I live by, and it's, it's higher. It's higher than that. It takes us to dominion. 
the earthly kings, the majesties limited, so is their dominion. They only have certain boundaries they can rule. But Jesus will reign from shore to shore till earth and sun shall wax no more. There's a song, an old hymn that sings that, right? And his reign will be forever. His rule is eternal. And it's not just coming. Because he lives now. We, we talked about his death today in, in communion. But he is also resurrected. And he has been raised. He has ascended to the right hand of God. He is at the throne now. And 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26 speaks of his rule. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. That's talking about the end to this world order. And that's a hope that we have as we serve God, as we believe, as we worship him. We know that this stuff is coming to an end. That's why we're not too taken back by the fact that uh, they think we're crazy and nuts and stuff. They can think that all they want. They're coming to an end. Our God has the final say, the final jurisdiction, the dominion, and it's coming. But here it's saying that he already does have dominion, for he must reign. That's right now. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Jesus reigns now in those who allow him. He doesn't force himself. He's more of a confident king than any insecure earthly politician might be. Jesus isn't going to force himself on you, but if you allow him into your life, he will bring his dominion, and he will cast out the devils. He will cast out the demons, the sins, and the inabilities. His grace comes in, gives you ability, gives, him, gives you his dominion. And as he has dominion in your life, you become a part of his dominion on this planet at this time and where you go, his dominion goes. And what you do, his dominion does. What you, where you serve, where you are being a witness for Christ, you are extending his kingdom. And he will reign until he's taken care of everything. And he comes and the last enemy destroyed is death. And that means you can have dominion in your work, in your home, in your school. Well, no, I have no control in my home. I'm beaten and abused and all this stuff. Yeah, but you can, you can have dominion in the spirit, in your heart. You can follow the way of the Lord and see how he, if you allow him dominion, he brings the change into the atmosphere, whether it be instantly or little by little. We saw this in China. We worked in an orphanage in China way back in the early days. And Jennifer can tell you how, how in the early days she'd, she'd come home every day crying because babies are dying every single day. But the Lord's people, people who love Jesus, Christian people, got involved in this orphanage and it wasn't easy, but after some time, God's dominion came into that place. Babies stopped dying every single day. And places in that crummy-looking, dirty, filthy place started to get cleaned up. And joy started to enter into the atmosphere. There were, and kids were getting attention that they never got. And the dominion of God was spreading into that place where it became an, an excelling institution in that city and was notably uh, noted for it. So that's what I'm saying. God is spreading his dominion now wherever we allow his dominion to be a part of us and where we ask him, how do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to take your dominion? 
And that's what missions is all about. And as I've said, missions isn't just going overseas. It's wherever you are. But you have to allow him the dominion in your heart now. And that's what he does. He comes in when you say, Lord, you are Lord. And that's the last part. He brings power. When you say that, power comes into your life. And you say, I have no power. I can't do the things that the Bible requires. And I was just reading the other night in uh, Romans chapter 12. We, uh, we were talking about how it's hard to bless those who persecute you. And, and you go to uh, doing good to those who do evil. What? That's impossible. Yeah, but that word is written there under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And if you love the Lord Jesus and you're looking to him for the power, and that word says it, then that gives you a certain power to be able to carry it out because you know now that you're walking in his authority and his, his ways, and you understand that his way brings a glory and, and allows him to be released into your situation in which he can do things. That gives you some power. And then you see the power of God change the atmosphere, change the situation. It doesn't happen by gritting and trying to do better. I can't. You can't do better. It's by grace. It's by grace you say, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm going to do what your word says. And because your word says it, I have the power to do it. Because I wouldn't even think about it if it, if it wasn't written. I hope somebody knows what I'm talking about here. But it's true. If you follow the word, you've got some power right there in the word. But a lot of the church today does not believe in the power of Jesus. They say it was back then, and maybe it'll be in the future. But Jude is telling us it's before all time, now, and forevermore. And in Hebrews it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, you know, the church has gone through some crazy trips and things, seeing abuses of charismatic gifts and things like that, but then swung the other direction and said, well, we, you know, we, there's none of that going on and everything. We can't limit what God can do. The problem we don't see power in our lives is because we're not believing for power in our lives. We're, you know, oh, I, I just don't want to take a chance. I don't want to make a risk. I don't want to feel silly. I don't want to get my hopes disappointed. That's called trying things, and that usually ends up bad. Uh, no, power comes when you're living by the faith of the Son of God, and you're not allowing any limitations on that. And if Jesus did miracles in the past, he can do miracles today. If he's going to do miracles when he returns, he can do miracles today. And the reason we see so few miracles is because we're not plugged into the power source. Come on, preacher. Give it to me. Give it to me straight. I ha I'm talking to myself, too. But I want to be where the power is. I want to believe for the power. I want to see the supernatural works of God in my life. But you know what? Even... You know, as I pray for signs and wonders, we will never see a greater sign and wonder than what happened with Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified. Because when he died on that cross, he tore a rift in the heavenly realms. It takes power to lay down a road out there, right? He laid a road down for us to go into eternal life. He brought power to obstinate hearts through his death. He changed and melted us with the sense of his love. There is, he's made us willing in the day of his power. That's, that's from a Psalm 130, I believe. 110, I'm sorry. 110 verse 3, you've made us volunteers in the day of his power. He's made us willing in the day of his power. He has power to overcome anything that you're facing. He has power to do miracles and 
the greatest signs and wonders sometimes are just that we've made it through the day. But I don't want to sell it. I don't want to sell it short like that. We've got to start believing for the real things that will witness to people out there. We got to believe for healing. We got to pray for them. Believe that God's going to do something, or that He's going to provide where it seems like there's no provision. Or if we follow in His steps, He will see to it that we're taken care of. And it's not something, well, I tried that and it works. No, it's, it's a commitment where you say, you are Lord, and you are powerful, and I'm going to trust in you. And, and it's a worship. It's an act of worship. It's not for me. All this goes back to, to God, who alone is wise. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise. We just want to bring glory to him. And that's where I believe we will meet him. If everything's me, about me, 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 that's going to be difficult. It's got to be where you're done with me. And you're saying, I believe you have a better plan for me than me has for me. Right? And that's where I believe God comes in. Now and forevermore. So, is God glorious? Does he have majestic? Does he have dominion? Does he have power? Well, if he's glorious, let's revel in the glory. And let's understand, too, that he shares it. That he's going to make us glorious as we give him the dominion. And he, when he appears, we too appear with him in glory. And if he's majestic, let's live like children of the king. Let's, let's be royal ones. We don't have to be pompous and arrogant and proud. We, we, that's not the way Jesus was. We follow his example. But we understand something, that we're not trash, that we're not insignificant, that we're not lowly, but we have a royal stamp on us. And then does he have dominion? Does he have dominion in your life? And where can you bring some of the dominion in your life? And power. Do you want to see him powerful in your life? Plug in. Stay plugged in. Don't take out. Plug in. Confess him as Lord and say there's nothing that I can't do. With God, all things are possible to him who believes. We, all, we often quote, nothing is impossible with God. But Jesus also said all things are possible to those who believe. So build yourself up in the faith. Jude says, stay in the truth, fight for the truth. Don't give up the truth. Be on guard against falsehood. Then he says, build yourself up in the faith. Build yourself up so that you can be edified, that you can be kept in the love of God, that you can touch others. And then all of this ends up to God be the glory, to God, to him, our Savior, and the one who is, is glorious and dominionated. And how do you ever you say that? <laughs> he is the one. He alone is the one. And he gives us the privilege to be a part of it. Amen? Let's, let's pray. And let's worship. As we pray, let's just think about these four attributes. Because really, what we don't give glory and majesty, dominion, and power to God. When it says give, it's really talking about recognizing the truth and attributes of God. And recognizing and affirming and, and proclaiming these things. That's what praise and worship is about. And it's with our mouths we do it, with our lives we do it. But it all should flow from a desire. Not, none of this is to God, our heavy hand, our dictator. It's to the, him who saved us, who died for us, who loves us. So we give him that praise and worship in our lives. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, that you love us. And we thank you for the fact that we come before an awesome, awesome God not a false god of the Hindus or the Muslims that whips people down or, or threatens and 
and uh, powerless gods. We, we come to one who is everything and who has not abandoned us or neglected us, who's been patient with us and who wants even better for us. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live lives of to God our Savior, give lives of offering, of praise and worship, and that we would be in touch with these attributes of yours, glory and majesty, dominion and power, on a daily basis, that we would be praising you and worshiping you, and at the same time, feeding off of these things as part of our own story as you've brought us into your your family. So I thank you for that, Lord. We praise you now and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.